the RTE Rugby World Cup podcast, sponsored by Bank of Ireland. Hello and welcome along to the RTE Rugby World Cup podcast. It is finals week at the Rugby World Cup. New Zealand and South Africa going to meet in Saturday's decider at the Stade de France after a pair of, of contrasting semi-finals. The All Blacks routing Argentina 44-6 in a one-sided game on Friday night before we were given a nail-biter on Saturday when the Springboks edged past England 16 points to 15. Looking back on these semi-finals and looking ahead to the final on Saturday, I'm delighted to welcome back former Springbok World Cup winner BJ Botha and former Ireland international Mike McCarthy. BJ, after all our talk in recent months that Northern Hemisphere rugby was about to take over the game and there was going to be a massive shift in the power dynamics of the entire sport, here we are, the old guard, Springboks and New Zealand in the Rugby World Cup final all over again. Yeah, it's crazy. I can't believe we actually had the final stages and we had the final now and it's been some ride, you know, but I think uh, fine margins, I suppose, is the is the word used, you know, I suppose through all the kind of World Cup games, they were really close, those fine margins that could have gone either way. So, look, it's a it's a, it's a t- titanic battle and I think the last time they were in a final, even with all their kind of um, New Zealand's trophies, uh, was 95, I saw this morning. So, interesting, they haven't met again, you know, so, um, yeah, it's a, it's, it's a kind of old old battle that goes back many years and now in the kind of um, pinnacle of, of obviously rugby. Mike, looking back on the on the semi-finals and we'll start with South Africa 16, England 15. Um, for a start anyway, not as one-sided as a lot of people thought it was going to be. Yeah, and I, look, I think we needed that as well, didn't we? After the kind of the routing of the New Zealand-Argentina game, everyone was a bit disappointed, a bit deflated after, you know, after that kind of quarterfinal time where Ireland played New Zealand and France played South Africa. Two epic battles, you know, loads of physicality, real tense, went to the wires, and then we had that kind of deflating New Zealand-Argentina game. Um, but yeah, the South Africa-England game was absolutely fantastic, nail-biting stuff. You know, completely different spectacle in terms of the conditions that that brought. It was almost better not to have the ball. And look, myself and BJ will have played in plenty of games, you know, with Munster and Connor, where, you know, up at the sports ground where it's lashing with rain. And, you know, it's actually better sometimes not to have the ball in those conditions and just defend. And you've got good width in your, in your, in your defence. You can get really good line speed, get up in the faces and cause them to make mistakes. And then, you know, from those mistakes, you're kicking for territory or you're attacking off a, a, a broken defence, which makes it, you know, a lot simpler. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I look, I don't know what BJ thinks, but kind of my my, I'd be interested to hear. But you know, my perception is that maybe now South Africa say this wasn't the case, but maybe a little bit of complacency coming into the game, and it's hard. We know in Test match level sport, top level sport, if you are one two percent off, you know, you can get turned over. And it was a banana skin. They had the massive, epic battle. Um, South Africa. That you know, being being France, all the emotion that comes with that game, um, it's 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 physically and mentally draining. And they go into an England game where everyone's telling them gonna they're gonna win, the fans, the media, um, and a little tiny bit of complacency, complacency, maybe thinking to to that final against New Zealand. And on the day, you have to say England bloody turned up and they were physical. They had a nasty edge, which we haven't really seen. And I think the conditions were a bit of a leveller, if I'm being honest. I think if South Africa played England in the conditions we've seen up until this point, I think South Africa win relatively comfortable. But, you know, it was a leveller. England played the tactics really well. They brought a physicality that maybe 
you know, South Africa weren't quite expecting. Um, and, you know, they started the game well. Farrell played the game really well, put them in the right areas of the field. Uh, they got, you know, we'll come on to the scrum, I know, but, you know, I thought Cole and Marla were, were, were brilliant in terms of not getting dominance. You're never going to get dominance against South Africa, but I think they got they got parity and that's what they needed. They put in a great shift and that gave them the foundation, gave them the platform. And um, look, I know we're going to get to the scrum and I'll let BJ focus on that, uh, you know, uh, World Cup winner and a specialist on that area. But, um, you know, I think it was like the, the France game. It's, you know, South Africa, France lived with them in the scrum and then un until Antonio went off. And um, that's when the bomb squad start getting on top. But uh, yeah, look, I think the conditions, England turned up with a kind of a, a physical nastiness, played the conditions really well and, uh, you know, started the game well. Yeah, and before we... Before we get on to the scrum, BJ, just like on the, the overall way the, the game panned out, did South Africa kind of just get sucked into playing the game England wanted them to play? It, it, I don't know. I I was watching it back. I was watching it on Saturday and then I watched it back last night. And for, for large parts of it, it felt like we've seen South Africa expand their game a lot more over the last 12 or 18 months. And I certainly found by about the three-quarter mark, it just looked for large chunks of the game like South Africa were so fixated on beating England up front and winning the physical battle that they forgot they actually kind of needed to win the game as well. They they forgot that you actually needed to put points on the board and it was becoming, they were becoming more fixated on just winning the arm wrestle itself. Is that, a, is that an accurate reading of it? Well, yeah, look, I think let's first give credit where credit's due and kudos to England for a phenomenal uh, flawless um, kind of performance up until the 77th minute. And I suppose maybe a little bit before that when they did make the changes. And I suppose as we will come back again to the to the kind of the bench that comes on. But there's no doubt that England went away and just basically turned their whole game upside down. I suppose I would in some parts, as you know, um, there's certain individuals on the England side that weren't even used to Lagi and ball not even passing. You know, Farrell at times, the amount of times they kicked, the amount of times they basically just took all the suffocates in South Africa in all the opportunities of the loose ball and stuff. So just in the mall time, they were exceptional at mall, just strangling them all, giving them no go forward, actually being on that edge, which they needed to be, kind of coming around the side and the ref allowing it and then really poor ball kicking and then escorting an incredible escort that looks like a the V of a, you know, ducks flying over to Alaska kind of thing and kind of, perfect, you know, for, for I don't know, um, the fullbacks just running and taking it and all these things that, you know, kind of South Africa feed on and that momentum around that and obviously they set piece as well. So for me, I don't, I, I must be honest and, and one thing I think complacency is something you kind of aware of and I suppose even though you're aware of it and I suppose at this level and, and Mark's true, writes what he says, you can't actually probably get yourself to that point um, especially maybe you know, with all respect, England haven't oppose the threats of France and Ireland. So from from so the subconscious, are you really there? You know, especially coming off a massive emotional win against France. It was massive. The short turnaround. And you could have obviously asked the questions, are we mentally fatigued? You know, in the in a game as you say that, you know, that that we kind of are we are we as ruthless as we were? And I think we weren't. And I suppose a huge part was England just kind of completely um I suppose suffocated us and suffocated South Africa in the areas that they usually dominate in. So, and uh, it, it looked like a kind of uh, the old um, foe of England really ends why they so kind of successful in previous World Cups and they they find themselves to the somewhere and with their kicking and their in the game with their suffocate team. So, there's no doubt that 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 they just you know it was just a massive performance from them. Kudos to them. But I suppose South Africa now 
you know, have this kind of longer break coming this week now into a semi-final. And I suppose looking back, semi-finals aren't always pretty. You know, I, I can't recall a pretty semi-final. Quarters are usually really exciting. There's some teams, as we've seen with Fiji and stuff, that are still around with all respect to them that can still run the ball. And, you know, it becomes a little bit stagnant through semis. And a final, as we know, it could be a just uh, kind of game of kicking and conversions that win it for you. Yeah, I think the, the mental fatigue is probably a good point, Mike, because even before the tournament started, I would have seen plenty of people say that one of the reasons that they wouldn't have particularly fancied either Ireland or South Africa to win the tournament outright before it started was the sheer fact of how tough their pool was and then having to replicate that through a quarterfinal and then through the knockout stages as well. You know, whether it was New Zealand or France, one of those teams was going to be playing in the in the quarterfinal. And I think you probably could see a long campaign catching up with South Africa last week or just at the weekend, just gone, having beaten having beaten France, the the huge emotional toll that that and physical toll that that would have taken out of them. And they probably just were a couple of gears off against England. Now, the beauty of it for them now is they managed to get through it, kicking and screaming and just about, and they're going to be better for it by the weekend. Yeah, definitely. I, you know, I was going to say that. And I think England came into the game with that kind of siege mentality. Everyone was writing them off, backs against the wall. And again, BJ and myself have been there at certain times in our careers where, you know, results aren't going your way, your performances aren't great, and everyone's writing you off. And, you know, you come out fighting and there's it gets to a point where, you know, the, a big performance comes. And for England, that was a big performance. And going forward for England, I think I, I saw England had seven players who were 25 or under in that match squad. So, you know, for them, building for the future, that that's a positive. And it, and it was a good performance. But South Africa will, you know, the coaches, obviously, everyone's going to be delighted. They got out of jail and they found a way, you know, current World Cup champions, they found a way. That's what championship champion teams do. But I don't know Razzie, but, I, you know, I, I think BJ knows him. But look, I, I, am, I imagine they'll be using that game, that performance. Razzie will be using that as motivation in terms of really getting stuck into the lads uh, in the video session saying, we, we, our foundations are being physical, being nasty, set piece dominance and showing clips of them, I suppose, getting bullied in certain times by England. And, you know, you know, the South African mentality, uh, they're hard, they're tough men, that will hurt them. And I think it's a great kind of fuel or recipe or ingredients that they're going to use building up to the final, which is going to give them their kind of, although they're probably still the favourites or it's pretty even now, it's going to give them that kind of siege mentality going into the final that, you know, they perform poorly and they perform poor. If they perform like that again, they won't win the World Cup final. So I think it's, it's actually... From South, Af South Africa's point of view, they've had a tough semi-final. They know they found a way to win. That will give them confidence going into the final if they are in that position in the final. But also, they'll be going in, chomping at the bit um, to start well, to be physical and to bring that nasty edge, which we mentioned before. Yeah, and spe like speaking of the nasty edge, BJ, like England, in fairness to them, for the, for the first 40 minutes in particular, they really, really figured out not even just game plan stuff, but they figured out how to get under the South African player's skin a little bit and how to just just wind them up. Now, it probably backfired on them ever so slightly. They gave away that penalty. You know, the, they had overturned them all and that got flipped over to a penalty to South Africa. It didn't lead to anything in the end. But then you also had Owen Farrell giving away 10 metres for talking back to the referee, which led to Pollard kicking three points. So, OK, on one side, it probably backfired. 
But I think over the course of those 40 minutes, England probably got the benefit out of winding up South Africa and getting under their skin and just throwing them off their shape. There's no doubt about that. And I suppose they would have looked back at that first half and probably looked back and think, why didn't we have more points on the board? Mm. I think that's the one key element is that they dominated. And I suppose that from credit to South Africa where they managed to find a way. And not only that, if you look at the if you look at the meeting next to the field, managed to kind of the genius of Rossi um, to make a change that changed the game, basically, um, and and just kind of flip it around. Um, nothing against Libok. He just saw that the change was necessary and a different 10 was needed. And and then kind of the rest was history, really, with the kick and everything else that happened with the bench coming on, you know. So I think England were aware of the bench, and I suppose, as many teams are, but I suppose just kind of shows again, you know, where South Africa, you know, gets their kind of real strength from and that bench coming on and making a difference. You know, I think that's a real key element about about sides at the top, you know, not even international rugby only, you know, that that bench that comes on that makes that difference. And I suppose again, it's not only the it's not actually so much so the players being incredible players. It's it's actually coming to coming into and having the mental capacity to come into a stressful environment and actually kick off straight away. Not taking a minute or two to basically think, oh well, let me just get into the game. By the time they hit the ground and they're running on, they're basically playing as they started the game, but they've got a full tank of petrol. And that's been, you know, quite incredible how they've managed that. And Russi and obviously Jacques have managed that, you know, the set piece has obviously been a major thing. And they were parity, you know, throughout that first half. And I suppose I look back now and we're going to talk about the scrum later. Why did they take Marlon and Cole off? You know, why did they change that? Because I don't think that the other two would have given them so much around the field because they weren't draining the ball anyway. You know, they were just kicking it and set piece base. So, it's, it's an interesting one, and I don't know if they look back at that as well. So but there's no doubt, again, looking back at that first half of England, they had a few more points on the board. I think it could have been, obviously, the other way around. And I think South Africa took a lot of confidence in that. You know, they hadn't hardly played the ball, hadn't had the ball in the 22 to attack. You know, all their ball was suffocated. So, um, in, in a nutshell, I think, obviously, we look back at this bomb squad, as they call, and people always kind of say, well, there's name attached to it, but it did the job again, you know? So, yeah. To keep on moving I forward, I, I, I think it's a. I, I mean, it's a massive call that Razi did to, to call pull Libok off so early. I mean, yep. kick that kick that penalty to take it to six three. That was, you know, a great great kick by Libok, wasn't it? It was very far out. There's a lot of pressure on him around his kicking. He actually had about two or three seconds left on the stop clock, which uh, he left it right to the wire. But you know, massive massive call. And you know, on the England physicality, I think two points stick out to me as the Elliot Daly. Uh, kick chase off the 22 dropout where the, he absolutely smashes Vermeulen. Vermeulen kind of wears the tackle really well, actually. I've, ne I've never seen Vermeulen hit as hard as that, I don't think. And then, um, you know, George Martin as well, big defence. I don't know how legal it was. It looked like a no, no arms, but, you know, they did bring a real physicality, like like we said, and those two examples probably really, really stood out for me. The one last point, actually, before we get on to the scrums, and it was just because you mentioned it there, Mike, but... One thing I suppose that New Zealand might be looking at the, what England did at the weekend, but the kicking and the kick chase from England was for probably three quarters of the game, absolutely on point. Both the kick and the kick chase. I I think in the final quarter of the match, the tiredness was probably creeping in. There were a couple of kicks that went long, deep into the 22 and it allowed South Africa to take a mark rather than having to, to play out. So the tiredness probably wore in, but 
I think a large a large reason for why for why England led for so much of that game and were able to to control things was both the kicking of Alex Mitchell and Owen Farrell, but also then as well the the chasing from the likes of of Freddie Stewart, from Elliot Daly, um, from Joe Marchant. There were like it was just so accurate as I think BJ mentioned the escort lines a little bit earlier on as well. Everything they did there around that area, it was just so so accurate, and it put yeah. constant pressure onto the South African players and constantly squeezed them out of the game. Yeah, they, and and we talk about you know teams talk about winning the scraps or the fifty fifties, the balls on the floor, and you know that first 50, 60 minutes, England were winning all the scraps, they were winning all the fifty fifties, and with that they had parity in the scrum up until the certain point and. You know, that all goes into the referee's head and paints a picture that that team's on top. And, you know, they just implemented the tactics so well for the conditions. Like you said, Farrell, the kicking game of the nine and the ten. And then with that ruthless edge of wanting to empty the tank in the kick chase, chasing in numbers, making good decisions, good good quality tackle technique, good choices of the tackle, you know, competing at the breakdown, slowing it down, being frustrating. They defended the mall incredibly well as uh, as well, which I think surprised South Africa. And actually looking to the final, I think that's, that is, you know, All Blacks, I know we're going to talk about them and their, their semi-final. But that that's an area I still think um, New Zealand are vulnerable at, is defending line-out malls. Um, and we saw it in the... In the in um, when Ireland won the series yeah. in New Zealand, they really struggled. Yes, they've had new coaches in, forwards coach Joe Schmidt coming in. It's totally changed that New Zealand All Blacks team. But definitely, I think South Africa will see massive weaknesses at, at, at more time where they can really get dominance. Yeah, and in the quarterfinal, Ireland, you know, they scored a, a mall penalty try. Obviously, we're a little bit unlucky with Ronan Kelleher getting held up, but that mall was was gaining ground as well. And it's not really an area Ireland have excelled in over the last 12 months either. So there's definitely something there. Let's go on to the scrums though, because ultimately that was, it was probably the winning and losing of the game in the end, in the in the final 20 minutes. Oxen... Look at BJ, BJ Smile. He's been sitting there for 20 minutes wanting to talk about the scrums. He's, he's, been, he's, he's, been, waiting, he's been waiting 20 minutes for us to, for us to bring he's this up. He's been hit by the car there before he got in. <laughs> so BJ tell us uh, we'll go straight to that final scrum in yeah. particular though because that's the one that has caused so much debate I've seen opinions on both sides people absolutely 100% certain in their view that this was either a penalty to South Africa or it was a penalty to England you've you've given your own view on, on Twitter can you talk us through what you've seen in the, the pictures that have been painted by both sets of players and and I suppose as well, what what the referee Ben O'Keefe has seen and why he has made the decision. Well, taking a second, I suppose a real back to this and I suppose the important thing to lead up to the scrum is basically what happened when Ox and Sheik came on to the field and Koch. So I suppose you saw a big change in the dominance up front, complete change, you know. And I suppose that was also led to the fact that it took, for me, a question why they took Colin Marlow off. And that was a big change up front as well. So you could see that dominance. And I suppose that's what happens in a game, as we know. You know, there's there's questions around why are players going down? Why are players collapsing? You know, similar with the breakdown. Why are players that are holding their feet? Are they fatigued? You know, I suppose, and all this sort of stuff. And maybe poaching the ball and not supporting their own body weight and all these things that kind of go on as the game goes on. So for me, leading up to the scrum, really important about realising South Africa were in control up front. And I suppose during leading up to this knee that was dropped it wasn't kind of a first scrum you know kind of decision 
there were three res- three resets, I think, to this. It was the third actually scrum or two yeah, resets? Yeah, this was the, this, this was the third. This was the third. Yeah. yeah, this was the third. You know, talking about that and being very aware of the time clock going through the ref's head. Listen, South Africa dominant. They've they they taking. They've got a scrum now, and obviously they most people knew exactly what was going on there. And I suppose as the as the engage process takes place. Genji, uh, Genji drops his knee and basically on the engage. And at that stage, you have a you have responsibility, as you said, to hold up the scrum. And and as you drop your knee, it's basically a collapsed scrum as much as you collapse your elbow, your shoulder down. And it's it's basically a direct effect of pressure. You know, the other part now after this is where my uh, kind of whole, I suppose, um, explanation around the first infringement regarding scrum time, because a lot of, these infringements that happen first off have a lot of knock-on effects. So everyone's been looking at kind of cock being parallel to the to the sideline and the angles around that. But we need to look at kind of first infringement, mm-hmm. um, you know, kind of the effect it has on the scrum and blow first infringements. And it's exactly what I suppose Ben O'Keefe did there. And he, he showed quite clearly why he blew the penalty. And I suppose that the only question that's going around at the moment is that why didn't he kind of blow it earlier mm-hmm. and let the scrum take place and be completed. The only thing in my head now it looks like is that I suppose there was some understanding of the scrum being completed and almost basically, I don't know, um, play advantage, um, get that the ball was going to come out and, you know, that sort of thing I'm thinking around, you know. Um, so I don't have an explanation, explanation that I think, yeah. you know, some refs might blown it straight away they did they have blown it straight away before so i suppose leading to the fact that maybe the time on the clock the pressure of the game would have led to that kind of just giving it a couple more seconds until he blew it that's my understanding and that's what obviously i see it as you know um one thing to to follow up in there so you mentioned like you know uh the first infringement that was Genj dropping down to his to his knee can you explain to us yeah. then if if Genj has dropped to his knee what what benefit has it given him in the end, then that, yeah. that that he that he has like ultimately by by getting down that low and not being yeah. able to support his body weight, what benefit is he getting if that hadn't been spotted? Well, the first benefit he has is height because obviously he comes in a much lower angle. Now he's got the back five behind him there, and if he can, the thing is he's got no benefit if he stays down. But the benefit around getting up is that sometimes the tighter on the other side allows that get up, and you can see what happens there. It almost like he fights and actually assists him getting up because he kind of takes a takes a position of right. Let's just kind of find my feet here, and I suppose that's when that's when that's when Genji comes up, and he basically then is in a much more powerful position because he's obviously got the height and the pressure still behind him, and hence the fact that it's 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 a huge advantage to have at that stage. Tate's decision, most Tate's then to do that, you don't have any momentum behind you. And hence the fact you have to usually take the angle at, at some stage. You know, you can't stay out and you won't be able to stay out because you've got no momentum behind you. Hence the fact the picture looks quite awkward. There's no momentum behind you. So you, you have to take an angle there. Going out is not going to benefit you at all. Going in will be. That's your safety going back to your hooker, you know. And I suppose it's exaggerated by the fact there's no momentum. And I suppose that's where the whole thing about kind of stability around showing clear black and white pictures. If we have to talk about the reason why there's stability when the ball comes in is to show black and white pictures on angles for the ref. And I suppose this was one that where it happened. If the if the knee wasn't down, people have asked me, would the same have happened? I think I think Koch was in a dominant position and a dominant, uh, you know, kind of dominating at that stage. And I think one of the reasons 
why 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 Genji went took a knee is because he was under pressure. And I think it's not a thing he does on purpose, but it's just the fact that you go for a big engage and you miss it. It's taking that risk of missing. And you can see it leads with the arm as well. So his bind is really low on the arm as well. So hence the fact it gives a lucid great advantage if you are in that position. And especially if you can get yourself off up or after that. You lower the tight it has to work a lot harder. He's got no momentum. So yeah, and I suppose at that stage of the game it was it was a penalty for me. Mike, B- a lot BJ. of people go oh, ahead, sorry. Mike, yeah. I was just going to ask BJ a question there. BJ, obviously being a, a front rower, you know, yourself, you've been in that position before where maybe you've put a knee down, but does, yeah. do, do, you think, do you think Genj goes away from that game? Look, because obviously you see the stuff in the media, you know, 50-50, it was a poor call or it was, a good, it was the right call. I saw David Flatman, you know, who's obviously English as well. He, he says it was 100% the right call. You know, Genj takes the knee for that initial couple of seconds and gives him the yeah. advantage, you said. But, in, in your opinion, does Genj go into the change room, look back at it and see the clip and think in his head, yeah, I can understand that. That's that's me who's given that penalty away. Or do you think he's thinking it's completely the wrong decision? Props are never wrong. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's what I thought. So, yeah, but I mean... No, no, no. I'll tell you what I'm thinking, what he thinks. I don't think he had an option. At that yeah. stage, okay, so what a lucid strength is as his hooker, okay? But generally when you train... The combinations are really important. So the hooker, the, the loose head, if he wants to be really aggressive and attack like he did there, as Genji as as Genji did did attack, that's the risk you 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 that's the risk you got happening. So you miss your bind, so his bind is down and you could potentially fall. If he holds yeah. his up there and he gets that 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 plane of entry I talk about up there and he's got that firing and he still stays as hooker, he's in the position A for me. And that's okay. what he had. And there had to be some risk there. He couldn't just go with the normal, let me stay with my hooker, let's work it out and kind of drive through this. So that we were dominated by the... I think he looks back at that and that's what he could have done at that stage. He had to take that risk for me. I would leave as a coach. I would say you have to do something out the box there because you're getting dominated. And I think it's a consequence of the pressure. So that's the other part of it. So I don't think he looks back at that at all. I think he did what was necessary. And if that comes off there and he's a much stronger position and he stays with his hook and he doesn't drop his knee... He has to take that. He has to power off as he did. BJ, I, just to to play devil's advocate here and and throw something something else out. <laughs> uh, look, look. When I was looking back at it yesterday, on, on sixty two minutes, it's after one of the other one of the other scrum penalties. Jamie George, the England hooker, he says to Ben O'Keefe afterwards, um, "Could you just watch 18's angle for me? He's coming in at an angle." So. Yep. There had been a couple of scrums in advance where England hadn't been pleased with uh, Vincent Cox's angle, and yep. it's something they had mentioned to the referee. So, if like if you're on if you're on their side of things, can you understand the frustration where, okay, like okay, I think we've all seen that Ellis Genge has gone down to the knee, but can you understand the frustration where if you're feeling that that tight head coming in at an angle on a couple of consecutive scrums and you flagged it to a referee, and it's it hasn't been it hasn't been addressed for the crucial scrum of the game. I can understand the frustration to an extent. I mean, it's clever talk, you know. I suppose experienced experienced customer, uh, but I would say that angles are very variable in the sense of what happens in all components on the scrum. Ox Inche has actually got a habit for me, and I think I've commented before this, and he's he's come right now, and he's kind of almost corrected it incredibly well. Where because, again, he's very strong individually, what he does is 
because he attacks so hard on that on that on that grain on the tight head, he tends to take the hooker away from the tight head from his own tight head. And generally, that's really tough for a tight head to kind of wait out on that line and not go in, if you understand what I mean. So generally, tight heads have to then follow in, you know. But when they follow in, you can't follow in without momentum because then the, the picture looks quite skewed because you're not, you, then it looks quite great to the ref. So from a dominance perspective, you have to be in motion and movement showing that, listen, your new set have now actually stepped out on the angle and basically trying to drive in. So that's what you're trying to show the ref. But, you know, they've definitely got a case there. And when, when things, are, when things are, are static, you know, as I said, some way to get some go forward is definitely coming for a tighter to take that inside line. And it is a softer line at times to rather take that line. And look, I suppose, again, and then, then, then that's up to the ref. But in that incident from that we're talking about now in the, in the final minutes, you know, I don't see that playing a part. You know, I don't see that because it's first infringement again. And I will take you back to actually beginning of the first half. I think uh, Kitsov was blown for a penalty for the same. Yeah. And then I also feel that actually commented on something. There was a scrum England at five meters from South Africa's line. If you look through the tunnel, I think it's France Mohuba goes down on his knee and recovers. And Ben O'Keefe is standing on the other side. And so the AR is looking at that and he needs to make that call. Mm-hmm. I've said, listen, to be to be again in the position of pressure, Tartic shouldn't collapse and fall on his knees. Generally, that should also be a penalty. But again, you know, is the AR going to call that? If, it's, if, it, if, it, isn't, if, if it isn't seen, did it happen, you know? You know, is the AR going to call that? Five meters from the line, in yeah. attacking, the ball's still in, the ball's ready to play all these variables around it. But I still stick to the whole factors that it just makes, I suppose, from a player's perspective and a coach's perspective, really uh, as black and white as it can. If we start kind of blowing first infringements around this area and showing that, listen, and and, and different refs blow different things. You know, when you played for Nigel Owens, he blowed something different. Wayne Barnes and actually adapting. That's the way refs are, you know, and you need to, you need to blow in line with different parts of the scrum that will be, that will be blown, you know, for that, for that game. Yeah, and Mike, the, the consistency is the the big issue a lot of people have. And to Ben O'Keefe's credit on Saturday, BJ mentioned one early on in the game. I have it taken down here. 16 minutes in, uh, there is a scrum and Stephen Kitchoff drops to his knee pretty much just after the uh, just after the engagement penalty to England. It's it's identical to the penalty he gives 50, 60 minutes later down the other end of the pitch to South Africa. But ultimately, it's consistency from the referee, and that's what you want, isn't it? I think I think that's all we can ask for as viewers is consistency. Look, there's so many moving parts. There's so much pressure. Um, you know, the talk about you know you see about people saying about taking the scrum away. I mean, it's just ridiculous. You know, rugby's a game. We we love it because it's it's, it's for all shapes and sizes. Um, but yeah, look, there's just so much pressure on the referees, and as I say, there's so much to see. You can't see everything in a split second, and. You know, as long as we're getting the consistency, which I think we got from Ben O'Keefe, you you, you can't complain. Um, but look, I'm I'm thinking here, lads. We've been talking for about twenty minutes about scrums, so our our back listeners uh, are going to be kind of maybe switching off here. The forward listeners be, are going to be like, gonna... we we spend so much time talking about wonderful attacking play. Just just give us this, give us this one yeah. episode, give us this one yeah. episode. <laughs> no, that's pretty- 
going to say, sorry, sticking with the forwards as well. What about, you know, we spoke about the bench coming on for South Africa, but I thought RG Snyman was an absolute beast when he came on. I mean, in those conditions, I'm, you know, picture he made a, a, a lovely little half line break with a kind of NBA basketball offload. And I was just thinking, how are you holding the ball like a low for Hovis in these conditions, getting, getting an offload away? And then obviously the mall, the mall drove forward and he scores that try. Um, he was an absolute beast. It's great to see him back fit and fit and well and healthy. Yeah, and it does make you wonder what what is potentially to come this season for Munster when you can get a a full season out of someone like him. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Um, we will move it on. Um, we'll start talking about New Zealand and New Zealand cruising past uh cruising past Argentina on on Friday. This is one of those questions where it's probably going to be the outcome of the game will probably this weekend will decide what the answer of this question is, but. When you look at how tough a game South Africa got against England and to just keep that momentum going towards the final, was Mike, was was New Zealand's win against so Argentina so comfortable that it might actually just kind of take a bit of the edge off? Would they have preferred a tougher game in a semi final? It's a tough one. Because or, or, or is the sorry, is, is is the flip side if if New Zealand win this weekend? Will we all be will we all be saying, oh well, they were fresh for the final because they didn't have much yeah, of a test think, in the semi? You know, Foster alluded to that as well. You know, the extra day gives them, you know, that twenty-four hour, thirty-six hours period to switch off both physically and mentally. So they do definitely get a bit of a head start. You know, they've had an easier game. They've had an extra day to recover. Yes, they can switch off mentally for twenty-four hours. Watch the South Africa England game. So that definitely gives them a bit of a head start. But then on the other side, like I said before, South Africa are battle-hardened. You know, they've tough game against uh, to Ireland, being France, being England very narrowly. Um, so they are battle-hardened. Uh, it, it's important. Mystic Mick can't predict what's going to happen. But um, it's it's just it's just pretty exciting, isn't it? I mean, I think, you know, have New Zealand, we all know, lost that aura about them. It's We're all saying it's not the same all-black side of, of the past. You know, as I said, new coaches come in. Joe Schmidt factor, he's definitely had a massive, massive part to play. Um, you know, that try they scored against Ireland, I think it was the four-man creating a little kind of separation in the seam um, between Dan Sheen and the back of the line out, or I can't remember who it was, but, you know, they, they had Joe Schmidt's fingerprints all over it and he's made and a they massive used it, they used it again. They used it again against Argentina. Yeah, there was so many tries. I, I, yeah. I, it was a surprise. But, um, yeah, look, he, he's no doubt about it. 100% made a huge, huge, massive difference and it's going to be a cracking game. I think, I just think, New Zealand are going to know what's coming. Obviously, everyone knows it's not, you know, it's not a secret weapon. South Africa scrum, you know, New Zealand are preparing that. Greg Feek is preparing, knowing what's coming scrum-wise, more-wise, carry-wise, the physicality. And they will have a big focus on more defence this week because, as I said, it is a real area that if... South Africa go into the game with the right detail, the right mindset and get their biggest weapon going, their, their mall... New Zealand are going to have to be incredibly disciplined um, not to give penalties away because what will South Africa do? Kick to the corner, their biggest weapon, their mall, they'll get that juggernaut going and that could be, you know, the, the winning or the losing of the game for for, for New Zealand and South yeah, Africa. And, yeah, and, it just, and like just going back to the the game at Twickenham they had just before the World Cup, that warm-up. Granted, it's a warm-up and the stakes are completely, completely different. But BJ, in that first 20 minutes, South Africa had the, they just kept kicking to the corner, kept mauling, and New Zealand were coughing up penalty after penalty after penalty. And 
unless they have done enormous work on their mall D over the last six or eight weeks, that could spell massive trouble for them this weekend. It could now, definitely. And there's no doubt, you know, Mark's already alluded to the fact that uh, they that's if they do have one weakness, it's around that. And it's it's difficult to get that right over a few weeks, you know, because I suppose the mall D is, you know, not to question their kind of mental, you know, fortitude around that. It's it's really getting in a very dark place and and, and staying there and and for a, for a prolonged period, it's not nice. And I suppose when you have this time and time again, that's when it does become difficult and find yourself in these defensive positions, five meters, 10 meters from your line. I don't think any side can, can really keep those kind of opportunities out. So again, I think this all alludes to the fact that what's the selection process going to be and what side do we see? Is it going to be a seven one again? I mean, it worked last time. Imagine that. And I think that will just tell you, That'll tell you quite rightly what they're going to be doing. And I suppose as Mark, they we we so they have to go very predictable. But it's in that predictability that 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 they find I suppose why they're so difficult to kind of break down. And I suppose New Zealand will come with, I think, multiple, you know, attacking options, um, as they as they do. And I suppose we've seen the difference in how they how they went against um Starts coming to the latter stages of the of the tournament with a lot of kicking, loose ball, but real kind of precise kicking, precision kicking, getting the ball back, and then they're the best side in the world. So I think South Africa will be aware of that. The loose kicks could count against them. You know, I think they'll be coming hopefully a little bit more structured and building that around their kind of set piece and the kicking game deep into their half and playing from that. So I, I look forward to kind of seeing that side of thing. But I think I suppose when Mark alluded to the fact that World Cup final, you know. New Zealand playing Argentina with all respect, they weren't kind of, you know, given the challenge that England gave South Africa, would that play in their favour? I think that's one side of it. I think the biggest side of it is the history between the sides. Mm-hmm. I think that's kind of really, really important to realise the history between the All Blacks and the Springboks over the years with all respect to other sides. It's been this, it's, if you ask any South African child growing up and Kind of even, I think I, I would assume, and I've heard of New Zealand, the, the, the test they want to watch is South Africa and New Zealand. And if you ask a player, the test they want to play is South Africa against New Zealand in New Zealand. And you grow up watching this these tests early in the morning, back in the day when, you know, you had to wake up early and your father woke you up. And these dreams sit with you. They, they, these these mo- uh, memories sit with you over this time and they come about, you know. So I think this test match, and as, of, as it is the biggest pinnacle World Cup final, will have something deeper in the history side there of the sides clashing, obviously on the biggest stage. But that history will be a big part of this. And I think that South Africa's outlook will, will, will be just that, knowing they're playing in one part their biggest foe with all respect to other teams over the, over the many years that, 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 that they've played against. In your in your twenty five odd caps with South Africa, did you play New Zealand many times? Yeah, I made my debut, and I suppose I played more than half my tests really against them, and was fortunate enough to play them a few times in New Zealand as well. And yeah, I suppose that's what you kind of I, I don't know. I mean, is it is, pers- is it a is it a, is it a different experience to any of the other tests? Even just like the week of it, the build up on the day, the the nerves, things like that. Like like what is this? You're kind of talking about the rivalry there. What is it about the rivalry that has that has made it so big? I just think it's, as I said, I think it started from kind of a really young age and kind of everyone's kind of, you know, you always, it's always been kind of, I suppose, in, in our face about the, the, the massive Titanic battles over the years in New Zealand over the 80s, you know, 95 World Cup final, 
you know, all these legends that have come from New Zealand and the teams that have that they've produced, and then obviously Super Rugby being big part of that. Crusaders, the Hurricanes, you know, these big sides that are from New Zealand that have come through, and you kind of play against them quite often over those years, and then obviously you face them in the Test match in the Tri Nations, and I suppose, and you can even kind of pinpoint where the special games are. I think playing New Zealand in Ellis Park is is a special place to play them, I suppose. And you look at Auckland, playing them in Auckland is a special place to play them. Is a specific to that, you know. It's like the history around those those real iconic test matches over the years. Um, and, and I suppose alluding to the fact that, you know, they bring all this, I suppose, history with them. and the, You kind of face the haka and what it means to them and how you face it. And, and I suppose... <clears throat> It's, it's quite personal in one part. Not to take away from any of the other tests. It's not about them. It's just about, I suppose, the depth of that history um, and and the clashes that has gone before, you know. And I suppose that's a special thing. And I think hopefully it continues in all in all parts because I think it's a special part of 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 the of of the competition between the two countries. Mike, to to wrap it up. How do you think New Zealand need to need to approach this? Do they approach it game time wise similar to what they did against Ireland, where they kicked a lot of ball? They didn't actually take that many risks, even though they scored some some fantastic tries. It was a lot of, you know, a lot of kicking and counter attacking when the moment ar- when the moment arose. Or will they try open up the game a little bit more to take it away from South Africa's strengths? Or or again, like do they look at how well England kicked? And how well they executed that kick chase and how much pressure they were able to put South Africa under through that. Yeah, I think um, obviously we'll have to see what conditions are because that implements a lot around the game plan. But I think from New Zealand's point of view, they'll be talking about, and look, I know this myself, I've played, you know, I've played against South Africa and New Zealand. And I think when you're going into the game preparing to play against South Africa, for, for me mentally it was is all about the physical side of it. You've got to physically front up, you know, if you can go out there and physically front up, put your best foot forward, give it your best shot, or you can pretty easily, you know, be standing there with your pants around your ankles looking very stupid. So, you know, that's the mentality going into the South Africa game. When when I played against the All Blacks, it was more around, yes, I've got to be physical, but that preparation in my head that I'm going to be blowing, I'm going to be, the ball's going to be in play for long periods. It's, you know, that speed to feet, there's going to be a serious amount of work around the park, getting around the field. So I think, Look, look, New Zealand will be thinking the same. South Africa coming physically, as we know, they'll be talking about they've got to meet them physically. You know, they've got to have parity in the scrum, parity in the mall. They've got to get their mall defence right. They've got to turn up with a, that nasty edge we spoke that England turned up with for the semi-final. They'll be talking about that. And when you're talking about bringing that physicality for a game, you've got to be very careful. That's the spill out, spill over to being disciplined. And there's a real balance to find of being physical, but also being disciplined. Because if they turn up, physical and it tips over they become ill-disciplined and like we said that just allows South Africa to kick to the corners get them all going get their scrum going so I think New Zealand needs to turn up knowing that 100% they've got to be physical but they've got to be very disciplined you know less than 10 penalties you know 10 penalties max in that game to give them a chance chance of winning it and then obviously the tactical side of it in terms of playing in the right areas of the field you know both teams will talk about how important it is to start the game well. So that seed of doubt in, you know, New Zealand starting well, starting at pace, you know, getting over the game line, getting that first score on the board, backing up that first score with the next score. And, you know, South Africa, one day less to prepare. They're they're a little bit fatigued. So that seed of doubt early on in the game. And I'm I'm sure they're all kind of the messages that New New Zealand are, are talking about going into this game. Right. 
prediction time, fellas. We'll st- we'll start with the we'll start with the third place playoff on on Friday night. I, I don't need a massive explanation on this, but England or Argentina, who's who's picking up a bronze medal? BJ wants to talk about the scrum for this game, I think. <laughs> well, yeah. Argentina's yeah. scrum has not been very good at all yeah. over the, over, yeah. for, for, for quite a while. Who's your winner, though? Who's your winner, though? Uh, BJ. For me, I, I, I don't know. I seem to think that, I suppose, what's even shown now and how they've dropped emotionally in this, in this South African loss, I don't know if they if they can pick themselves up again. I mean, I want to go England, you know, and I think it's kind of going to be a close one. I, I feel like Argentina almost kind of almost have nothing to lose and they're coming and they can be quite dangerous, you know. So I'm going to go with uh, if, 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 if they can get. And again, again, I mean, the scrum is a big thing for Argentina. They need to get the scrum right. And I think it's going to be a close game, but I'll be the kind of outside outline. I'll go with Argentina to win. Mike? Yeah, I'm going to go with Argentina as well. They were, you know, Czech will be talking about how England embarrassed with them in that first pool game, playing with 14 men. I think Argentina, they're a bloody proud nation. And, you know, that heavy loss, seven tries against New Zealand, they're wounded, they're hurting, they're going to want to finish on a high, as England are. But I think I think Argentina might edge it. And then finally, the big one, who's lifting the cup on, on Saturday night? Mike, New Zealand or South Africa? Yeah, I'm going to go. It's obviously tough to call, but I'm going to go. I'm going to go New Zealand. Um, you know they lost. They've lost that that aura. Is it back? I think it is back. Um, you know, starting post that French game um, where they lost, but um, I think I think they're going to move big, heavy South African pack around the field, try and tie, tie them out. They're kicking game, making their big, heavy forwards turn. I think they're going to be disciplined, um, and I think yeah, look, I'll probably get proven wrong, but um, it's going to be a mammoth battle. But I'm going to go New Zealand. Bj. I get the feeling you're yeah. not going to agree with that. Yeah. No, look, I mean, it's obviously very valid points. But I think for me, I don't think um, New Zealand have shown enough for me to be that side that haven't shown those cracks, you know. And I think South Africa will go after the same cracks they exposed in the warm-up games. And even though the side's come a long way from that, I think New Zealand have shown that when Surveyor, uh, Barrett, um, Kane is on form, they those individuals make a huge impact. And I suppose, especially at that breakdown, um, they'll it'll take them for me to kind of, and at their top, to kind of consistently throughout the game for South Africa to lose this one. And I think it's going to be a great game of rugby. I think it's going to be quite an unusual final. I believe there's going to be a lot of running rugby. South Africa will know they have to score tries against New Zealand. You're not going to be able to just kind of, I think, the pressure side, I think there's going to be a lot of running rugby. And I, I think it's going to be a great, great final. And yeah, I suppose I would go with South Africa to kind of take it in the end and, you know, win their fourth title. But I said again, it's going to be, it's going to be a special final and I look forward to it. Yeah. Who starts? Libok or Pollard? I think Pollard. I think Pollard. Yeah, I think Pollard. But it's going to be an interesting one again. I mean, I think the the side that the way the Pollard, I don't, I don't think you can make those errors that, that, that in one part is not errors. I suppose the kicking battle was the one thing that I think one of the reasons why they just weren't as sound as they were before with, with Libok kicking crossfield like he did against France. And I mean, the, as I said, the whole cliche is also, you know, your, your, your kick is only as good as your chase. I mean, England was winning that chase. But again, I think Pollard will, I think Pollard will start. Um, and it's also an interesting one with Faf and, and Reinach as well. So that's also going to be an interesting one and and how they bring them off the bench. But I said, I, I suppose, as, as South Africa has always shown, this whole 
kind of full 23 approach. Mm. You know, I don't think it's kind of really, it doesn't make a difference. He'll make the change if necessary. So I think that's the kind of part anyway. Yeah, there's a level of, of comfort in that. But that's that's it. Eight o'clock on Saturday night, South Africa against New Zealand live on RT2 and RT Player. We'll have another podcast coming on Thursday afternoon. Some more predictions there as well. But until then, BJ and Mike, thanks a million for joining us. And we'll speak to you again soon. The RTE Rugby World Cup podcast, sponsored by Bank of Ireland.